0: you're reading for us, Can I invite you up?
1: Um, our reading's from the book of Genesis, um, chapter 26, um, and if you want to follow it um, in the Bibles beside you, it's on page 27. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 25. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech king of the Philistines looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the name of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given us a room, room and we will flourish in the land. From there he went on to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent. And there his servants dug a well.
0: Hopefully we're going to have a presentation Uh, in front of us. Hopefully, I say. Let's just move this forward. So we continue our sermon series uh, about the Founding Fathers, and the question springs to mind, why bother? Why bother thinking about the Founding Fathers uh, of uh, this very old book? In fact, why bother at all with the Old Testament? Hasn't the New Testament superseded it? Aren't we New Testament people? Aren't we New Testament Christians? Therefore, what possible relevance can there be for us today? to think about some bloke who lived 4,000 years ago? And what relevance can it possibly be for us to think about some guy who lived, and how can his life affect your life and mine? Well, conscious of those objections looming, let's pray and ask for God's help uh, to see the relevance of his word. Lord God, we thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and useful For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Please, Lord, speak to us tonight. Show us Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, when Bear Grylls jumps out of his helicopter, the first thing that he does as he parachutes out, uh, is, even before he finds water, is to get his bearings. He needs to work out where he is. That's what he does first. And as we parachute into the book of Genesis, we need to adopt a Bear grills approach. We need to get our bearings and work out where we are in the big Bible story. So a little spot of revision. Uh, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1 because in Genesis 1, uh, it teaches us that God is the creator of everything. Including our first parents, second slide please, Adam and Eve, who are made in God's image, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. They were the climax, the pinnacle uh, of God's creation story, and they enjoyed right relationship with God, uh, and um, God blessed them. Can we move on to the next slide? Okay, slight technical hitch. Uh, And they enjoyed right relationship with God, their creator. And God blessed them and ruled over Adam and Eve and his creation. And God made a place for Adam and Eve to live in, the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis 2, we see that life couldn't be more beautiful for Adam and Eve. In the words of Louis Armstrong, What a wonderful world. I would sing it, but I can't sing, so um, I won't sing it. And God announced over his creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, that what he'd made was very good. God's people, Adam and Eve, were in God's place, the Garden of Eden, enjoying God's blessing and God's rule. Life was brilliant. Life was great. Enjoying rest. A bit like what we're thinking about this morning, enjoying God's rest. But, next slide please. Through a series of events, God's people, Adam and Eve, they reject God's rightful rule uh, and they attempt to dethrone God and they listen to the snake Uh, instead of listening to God. We know the story. They eat the forbidden fruit, Genesis 2.17. They're deceived by Satan, uh, chapter 3, 1 to 5. And this act of sin was people's attempt to cast off their creaturehood. Uh, They didn't want to be creatures anymore. They wanted to be independent from God, making up their own rules of how to live. And consequently, judgment followed. Next slide, please. So, what happened next? Well, there was a break in relationship between uh, God and his people. Uh, God said that the day they eat the fruit, they will die, and they do. Their relationship's broken. God's people, Adam and Eve, are kicked out of God's place, the Garden of Eden. They're no longer, no longer under God's uh, blessing and rule. Next slide, please. Now, that's really uh, where the story should have ended. That should have been curtains on the whole show. The world rightfully could have stopped at Genesis 3. We needn't have the rest of the Bible story. Everything's ruined. Relationship with God has been ruined. Relationship with one to another, horizontally, has been ruined. And relationship with the creation, too. It's a sad picture. But God is a God of grace. Isn't that amazing? There is a story that continues. There is a Genesis 4, uh, and it continues. God is a God of grace. Next slide, please. And so the big question uh, is: how can uh, how can we get back to Eden? How can we get back into the Garden? It's a bleak picture. They're kicked out, um, and they're prevented from re-entering. But there's a glimmer of hope in this verse here. I wonder if you could just turn to Genesis three fifteen, or you, if you can read it there, because this is a wonderful promise uh, for us. Genesis three fifteen. Uh, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, God announces that from the seed of the woman, there's going to come offspring. And the offspring will strike the head of the serpent and defeat him, though at great cost to himself. There's going to be a battle between the seed of the woman... Uh, and the serpent, and the seed will be hurt by the snake, but he will ultimately defeat him and crush his head. And so the story of the Bible really is the search for the serpent crusher. And the question is, who's it going to be? Who is the one who's going to come and return us to Genesis chapter 2 by defeating the snake of Genesis chapter 3? Well, flick with me to uh, Genesis 12, a key chapter in the whole Bible story. Uh, This is definitely one to memorize if you don't know it already. So Genesis chapter 12, you'll find that on page 13. Uh, Next slide, please. Great. So let me just read this for us. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this, um, this, this chapter is really significant. It, it means a new beginning for God's people. And we see, don't we, in verse 1, that there's going to be a land We also see the second side to the promise, that there's going to be a nation. There's going to be a great people. There's going to be a great nation. And the third side to the promise is there's going to be blessing. Verse 2 and verse 3. So there's going to be a people, there's going to be a place, and there's going to be blessing. Well, that's Eden all over again, isn't it? It's amazing. Absolutely brilliant. God's people in God's place, under God's rule. And blessing. And notice uh, in uh, the end of verse 3 there in Genesis chapter 12, uh, this promise is for all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So uh, this promise is for the whole world. It's not limited to Abraham and his physical descendants, but all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now these promises are known as a covenant. It's a big word, big scary Bible word, but don't worry about that word. It means an alliance or an agreement, or a treaty, a binding treaty. Uh, So we see that commonly in marriage. So um, when I got married to my wife, Mel, 11 11 years ago, 2005, uh, we made promises to each other. I promised to honour her uh, and to love her. She promised to love me back and spend all my money. Uh, I promised promised to put the toilet seat down um, and put the lid back on the toothpaste and always leave the car with petrol in it uh, we made promises. Um, we made promises. We promises. Uh, we promised to work together till death do us part. But what God's saying here in Genesis 12 is that I'm going to keep the promises. I'm going to make these promises and I'm going to keep them. And it's binding. It's a binding agreement. And so the story from Genesis 12 all the way to the end of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 50, is now all to do with the promise. And it's all to do with the family of the promise. God's made this promise to Abraham and so our concern now is what about the promise and what about the people uh, of the promise? What about the family of whom the promise has been made to? So hopefully you can see just how relevant this book is to us today, 21st century modern day Britain. Uh, It's so important. Well, the story so far, we've seen it's been a shaky start uh, for Abraham and Isaac. There's been a threat to this seed already, to this promise. Uh, it, see, it seemed pretty impossible for two elderly people uh, to have a baby, uh, and eventually an heir's born. But just imagine the WI conversations for kind of uh, Sarah uh, and uh, Abraham. Imagine what they'd have been going on about. What, Sarah and Abraham? She's kind of 99, 100, and she's pregnant. I mean, imagine the look on the midwife's face as they came to see uh, uh, Sarah, 100 years old, giving birth. Fantastic. Uh, This baby's born, uh, and uh, this promised child comes. Um, It's incredible, absolutely amazing, that she survived to give birth at 100. Uh, My wife's 35, and she really struggled 11 days ago to give birth. Uh, But... uh, A hundred years old must be a a real challenge. So we've seen last week that uh, Abraham obeys God uh, and he's even willing to sacrifice this promised child. He's even willing to sacrifice uh, Isaac, his son. So if you're thinking the Old Testament is irrelevant and it's boring, uh, think again. It couldn't be more exciting. And hopefully, perhaps, this little recap might encourage you to rediscover the Old Testament for yourself because this covenant, this promise that god made to our forefathers of israel uh, abraham isaac and jacob well it's so crucial for us to understand because it becomes the basis of the relationship of all people in the bible and we can't truly understand the new testament without this backdrop in the old testament so the bible is one big story one big story that fits together and finds its climax in the serpent crusher Uh, plot spoiler the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Paul says in Romans 15, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So as we consider the Old Testament and the big Bible story, well, the Bible really says that the Old Testament's there, for your hope that you might persevere in the Christian life. Well, with that in mind, let's uh, with this long and lengthy introduction, let's turn to Genesis chapter 26 and have a look at our reading together. We have the next slide, please. So my main point, uh, the, the one thing that should stick in your mind as those glass doors close behind you and you walk out tonight is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises despite the fears and failures of his people. We're going to see that from verses 1 to 11. And um, let's just bear in mind that uh, Abraham uh, probably scarred Isaac quite badly. Imagine, imagine kind of your dad coming at you with a big knife. It'd, it'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? It'd be, uh, it'd be quite scary. We've been thinking for the last two weeks about Abraham attempting uh, to uh, sacrifice his son Isaac, but the Lord prevents him from doing so. So uh, a few scars uh, in, uh, in Isaac's life. Second thing to say is that there's many similarities between Isaac and Abraham's story. If you were to put Genesis chapter 12 and read the rest of Genesis 12 and read Genesis chapter 26 and put those side by side, you'd see a lot of similarities. We haven't got time to go through them all tonight, uh, but my challenge for you this week is to read Genesis 12 and Genesis 26 uh, together. And it'd be great, actually, if you could continue reading Genesis. It'd be really helpful in our sermon series as you get familiar with the book of Genesis uh, so that we can know where we're going. But some similarities that we do know, both men experience a famine in the land. We're told that from verse 1 of ch- chapter 26. Both consider going to Egypt uh, because of the famine to get relief both hear from God, both attempt to pass their wives off as their sisters, both fail on that as well, Uh, and both become wealthy, which is a sign of God's blessing in the Old Testament and God's presence, and both mature in their trust of the Lord, and both set up altars to worship Yahweh, the promise-making, promise-keeping God of the Bible. So let's dig into chapter 26. So Abraham's died, there's a family in the land. The Asda deliveries have stopped coming, so the, the shelves are empty uh, in the stores down in Israel. And Isaac's kitchen cupboards couldn't look any more sparse. And it's a desperate situation for Isaac and Rebekah, so they flee, they decide to make a road trip from a place called Beer Lahai Roy, a bit of a mouthful, uh, to the south of Israel. So they're kind of really far south, and they travel north and just west, a little bit so imagine the scene Isaac and his missus in the heat dusty tracks making their way up by foot to a place called Gerar and they're heading into enemy territory in search for food and on the way Isaac has this encounter uh, with God the creator God uh, appears to him and speaks can just kind of imagine Isaac rubbing his eyes like am I kind of seeing things or is that really God uh, in front of me And so what does God say? Well, it's a a restating of the covenant promises that he made to Abraham, his father. Let's just have a little look at them. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. There's the command. Live in the land where I tell you, stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you, for to you are the For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commandments, my decrees and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So it's amazing, isn't it? We see here uh, God's people. We see these promises restated. There's going to be a people. They're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Uh, There's going to be a land for the people to dwell in. Do we see that there? There's going to be lands. And God's going to bless them. I'll bless you. I'll be with you. I will bless you. So God commands Isaac, don't go to Egypt. Pitch your tent here in Gerar with the Philistines. And Isaac obeys God. Big tick. So far, so good he doesn't follow his dad's footsteps geographically down uh, into Egypt but what's the first thing that we're told happens next have a look down with me what happens next well verse 7 the men of that place ask about his wife and he says she's my sister because he was afraid to say she's my wife he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful so the local townies come out and ask about his wife and we're told that Rebecca is a supermodel. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. And in fear for his life, he passes his missus off for his sister, just like his father had done to his mother in Genesis chapter 12. He deceives the people and you can imagine the blokes, can't you, in Gerar, thinking, she's gorgeous. I want to be friends with Isaac. I want to, I want to be buddies with him. You can imagine him kind of having these guys come around and hanging about to get friendly with him so they can get close to his sister. But it backfires big time. Uh, Have a look down with me. Isaac's found out. The lie comes back to haunt him, and King Abimelech sees them caressing out of his window. When Isaac had been there in the land for a while, uh, from the window, uh, King Abimelech sees him. Uh, And no sooner, uh, Abimelech summons for Isaac to come to him. Uh, And he says in verse 9, is she really, uh, uh, he says, um, she's really your wife, why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what's this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Well, it's crazy, isn't it? You can see the kind of irony here in this passage. Uh, Isaac fears his life. He fears for his safety. And there's no foundation at all uh, for being afraid. And these worldly people in Gerar have got higher moral standards at this point than Isaac does. Uh, He lies. uh, And um, they, they say, well... If one commits adultery, the penalty for that is the death penalty. Uh, It's crazy, isn't it? Shouldn't Isaac have trusted in the God who appeared to him? Shouldn't Isaac have trusted in the God who said, I'll be with you. I've got your back. I'm going to be with you. I'll bless you. I'll make you into a great nation. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars over the sky. All nations are going to be blessed through you and your family. That's Isaac's reality. What was he thinking? Where was his head at? I wonder if you can relate to Isaac. I certainly can. I wonder if you've ever made a stupid choice in your life. I wonder if you ever doubt that God's got your back. Well, there's uh, an Australian evangelist by the name of John Chapman, a bit of a hero of mine, Chapo. Um, And um, there was an article in the briefing a little while ago. He died a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, let's just hear a little bit of wisdom from Chapo. He's, he's an Australian. Um, I'm not sure if I can attempt to do an Australian accent. Um, but this is some wisdom from Chapo. He says to himself, so uh, when I get up in the morning and I've had enough of being a Christian, I sit at the end of my bed and I swing my legs over the side and I say, John Chapman, have you had any fresh information overnight that Jesus Christ did not live. No, I have not. And John Chapman, have you had any fresh information that Jesus Christ did not die for you, rise from the grave, and promise to return? No, I have not. Well, John Chapman, pray your silly coot, and keep going, it's the best thing to do. Well, dodgy Australian accent. crazy isn't it the choices that we make by Isaac making this choice to lie to avoid this potential conflict with the Philistines he causes himself grief upon grief imagine what it would be like now for Isaac to live in the land with these people that he's deceived It's crazy isn't it strife hassle hatred hostility at every turn Does that sound familiar? But God keeps his promises despite the fears and failures of his people. And maybe that's a word for someone here tonight, acutely aware of your own fears and your own failures. This is a reminder to you that God is a God who makes and keeps his promises despite your fears and despite your failures in the Christian life. Maybe this holiday season for you, the anchors just come up spiritually and you feel like you've drifted a million miles away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he's saying, turn back. Put your trust in him wholeheartedly. Don't delay. Why not do that? Why not do that tonight? There'll be some quiet in a while. There'll be an opportunity for you to do that. Well, what happens next for Isaac in the land? Couldn't be more ironic, really, could it? Uh, my, my second point, can we go to the next, the next slide, if possible? Second big thing to notice from this, verses 12 to 22, God will establish his people in the promised land. So what does Isaac do? Verse 12, Isaac plants crops in the land, and the same year reaps a hundredfold. He gets his head down. He gets his head stuck in to his work, and he reaps a bumper crop, 100-fold return. Just imagine a 10-fold increase in your wage packet. So the national average salary uh, in Britain is £26,500. Can somebody speak to ministry division for me so I can get an increase in my salary? But just imagine opening uh, your paycheck, Uh, and seeing that a tenfold increase, £265,000. Amazing. Isaac and Rebecca, they've hit the big time, they've hit the jackpot. You can just picture Isaac's face splashed across Gardener's Weekly in Gerar. He's got this kind of super manure formula that uh, everybody wants, the radio interviews, the spotlight uh, on him. And verse 13, we're told that The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow, and he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants. He's made it. He's very wealthy. The bride, the job, the successful business, God's people, Isaac and Rebecca, in God's place, the land of Canaan, and enjoying God's blessing. Isn't that amazing? It's like Eden restored, yet now there's obstacles his persecutions. Well, he's got loads of stuff, but by the end of verse 14, the people are very unhappy with him, and they envy him intensely. So much so that at the end of this uh, section, verse 16, King Abimelech comes to Isaac and says, move away, you've become too powerful, get out, get lost, go away, leave here. So Isaac and Rebekah, they're back on the road, and this time they're in search, not of food, but of water. And they head up the valley of Gerar, pitch up tents, and their workforce pull out the spades and start digging uh, for water. Isaac's servants, verse 19, dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitnar. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. So God establishes Isaac in the land. They call this well Rehoboth. Isaac's, there's, there's room for Isaac in the land. God Will establish his people in the promised land, and there they are established. And Isaac says, "Now the Lord has given us; one. we will flourish in the land." Now we've got to be a little bit careful here as we bridge the gap from the Old Testament to us today, because the promised land in the Old Testament for us represents heaven ahead. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're told in Hebrews uh, chapter 11 that they're looking forward not to a garden again, but they're looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. They were seeking a better country, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. So we must be careful here. So what's being promised is not health, wealth, and prosperity if you become a Christian. Now, that's that's the blueprint for the prosperity gospel. No, uh, what we're seeing here is not that. But Isaac's being shown that despite the hostility and the hatred and the hassle, God will establish his people in the promised land. And it's a theme that we see repeated throughout the Bible. So if you flick forward with me to 1 Peter, uh, I'll give you a page number when I find it. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, page 1217 and look down at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. Peter's speaking about salvation and he says uh, about salvation, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith Of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Flick back a few pages as well to Jesus' words in Mark chapter 10. page uh, 1,015. And look at verse 28, 29. So 1,015. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes. Brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And with them, persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Suffering, grief, trials, persecutions. Do you see that? It's all part of the Christian life. It's all part of the Christian's experience. That's the reality of Scripture And the Bible says, be prepared to suffer. Not that we need to go looking for it, but that's a reality in the world that we live in. Those who desire to live the godly life, well, there will be times where you face persecution. And that may happen in various ways. And it's painful. And it's difficult. So don't be surprised if you find yourselves uh, at the brunt of the office jokes or people not wanting to hang out with you now because you're a Christian? or you losing popularity with your non-Christian friends? Maybe you've experienced that. The Bible says, don't be surprised. Be prepared for it. In fact, when the apostles were treated shamefully, what did they do? They rejoiced for being counted worthy for suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. Well, let's just widen our zoom lens again from this passage and reconsider the big Bible story once more. Because we can look back and we, be, we can be confident that God is a God who makes and keeps his promises. God did send the Lord Jesus Christ. The serpent crusher came. Next slide. This might be a bit graphic for some. The serpent crusher, he came in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, who are God's people today? Well, the Bible tells us they're Christians from every tribe and nation and language. Where's the place today? Well, it's in Christ. That's the place. And what does it mean to experience God's blessing? Well, it means now enjoying that relationship for which we were created for and finding rest for our souls and hope of eternal life in the new creation. What a great reminder, hey? That God will establish his people in the promised land. The Christian here tonight can have cast-iron assurance that you're being shielded by God's power and you're being kept for the new creation. Because you're a gift from the eternal Father to the eternal Son. You're a gift that's been given from the Father to the Son. So might that provide you with hope this week as you live the Christian life, as you battle with sin and battle to put Jesus first. So whatever you're finding yourself doing this time tomorrow, remind yourself with that. God is a God who keeps his promises and God is a God who establishes people in the promised land. Finally, we're in injury time. Just a last little uh, word about Isaac. He lied. He lied out of fear. He lied out of an inadequate understanding of who God is, that God is a God who makes and keeps promises and is true to his word. But despite that, God used Isaac. It's amazing, isn't it? God used Isaac and made the promise through him. His timidity, his fearfulness, even a man who puts his bride's honour at risk to save his own skin... And we're called not to look to Isaac, but we're to look to a better Isaac, the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who left heaven and humbled himself to become a man and the one who laid down his life for the sake of his bride. He gave everything he had for her. He paid the great cost to save her, to keep her safe. Jesus was the one who was dishonored so that his bride might never be he was treated shamefully so that you and i might be lifted out of harm's way and kept safe and experience every underlying every spiritual blessing in christ jesus the serpent crusher the one who conquered at the tree where adam fell by the tree the one who battled with the snake in the wilderness and was victorious the one who won the ultimate victory. The Bible says that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities by making a public spectacle of them, by triumphing over them at the cross. That's amazing. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that the Bible is one big story that finds its climax in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that there is a people, that there is a place that we're going to, and we can experience blessing today being in relationship with you. We praise you for your words. Please help us to put it into practice in our lives. For Jesus' glory, I pray. Amen.